0: The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church, or for more resources, visit us at StoneOakBible.com. Well, um, good morning, church. I hope you are doing well. Listen, as we, actually before we uh, get to our text, I I wanted to kind of bring two things out. They might sound weird. Hopefully, though, by the end, it will make sense. Um, I want to bring two things out. The first is um, that I believe that you need daily bread. Daily bread. And, 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 I believe that my job as as a preacher as a pastor, um, is to be a part of... I believe our job as a church is to be part of providing that daily, ongoing bread. So think about this in terms of the food you eat. Um, The vast majority of the food that you eat is rather ordinary. It's... uh, I mean, it's good, it, it sustains you. It's not, hopefully, bad, uh, but a tad forgettable, maybe. Uh, maybe, just a little bit. It, it's the vast majority, majority of our meals. They're just everyday, ordinary meals. That's, that's what they are. But every once in a while, we get the great joy and privilege of having one of those extravagant ones that we remember. We're not going to forget it. It was delicious. Every once in a while we have those. Uh, but, but that's not the norm. That's not the norm. You know what the, the norm is? It's every day, daily, sustaining, ordinary ordinary bread. That's, the, that's the, the norm. And the truth is, is that you are sustained by the daily bread. You're not sustained by living from one extravagant meal and then waiting, waiting, waiting. When am I going to get my next one? You're not sustained by the extravagant. Church, you're, you're, you're sustained by the ordinary, by the daily, the ongoing. There is a good chance you have forgotten what you ate this Tuesday. Last Tuesday, you, there's a good chance you forgot. It, even though you may have forgotten what you ate on Tuesday, it played a, it played a prominent role in sustaining you. It was a part of your daily bread. Your, your daily bread. So I believe that it, what Jesus said in his prayer, give us our daily bread is exactly, again, part of my job is to, is to provide consistent and faithful offerings of, of daily bread. And he, don't hear me wrong, I praise God for those extravagant moments. I praise God when we see just an extravagant meal plopped in our lap, and I, I praise God that we've been seeing those and those unforgettable moments or sermons where you remember where you were when you heard it. I praise God for those. I love them. But just like the meals that we eat, those aren't the things that sustain us. The thing that sustains us is our daily bread. The reason I bring this up at the beginning is because I I, I believe that for many Christians today, we're malnourished and starving. Because... We 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 go, we try to go from extravagant meal to extravagant meal. And that gap in between, looking for that as though it's normal, and the time that passes between uh, we're starving. We're we're malnourished and, and we, we ask where is the daily bread? The daily, sustaining, ordinary bread. Um, Again, uh, I hope that here at Stone Oak that we're a part of providing daily bread. that, That over time, through the preaching of this, that we as a people are shaped and formed. I'd love it if you couldn't point to one sermon. But you know that the collective sum of them all has somehow shaped you. That's my prayer. Daily, daily bread. Um, So all cards on the table here, we're about to look at a text, and my prayer is that it becomes the daily bread that enters your real daily life. Daily bread entering your real daily life, which leads me to the second thing, and then we're going to pray and get to work. Um, The second thing here is, is the text that we're about to look at um, there's going to be a temptation that is going to be easy to, to fall to, and I'm going to name it um, def- conviction deflection. Conviction deflection. You're going to face this one. This the, ooh, this one this one is uh, uh, a tempting text. So this is one of those texts that, that you might hear this preached, and you might say, "Yes, Pastor, preach it." Like. Let them hear it, right? Um, um, This sermon, it's exactly what they need to hear. So good for them. See, uh, conviction deflection is when we try to offload responsibility to someone else, like being given a plate of daily food and going, that'll be good for them. Um, this text, we're going to see this, is going to be very easy for us to do just that. Again, my hope, my prayer is that this daily bread enters our daily ordinary lives in a real way without us woo, shifting the blame or shifting the, uh, the daily bread to someone else. Um, here's the clearest way I can say this. This text that we are about to dig into is about you. It's about you, all of us. My prayer, wherever you come from, whatever brought you here, you might even know how—not even know how you got to this church this morning. Welcome. We're all here for a reason, and this text is about you. And so we're all going to sit under it together, get some daily bread this morning, um, and as we come to the word, let's just start with prayer. Amen. Would you pray with me, church? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, would you give us this day our daily bread? Would you forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors? Would you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil? For thine is the kingdom the power, the glory, forever and ever. Amen. 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 All right, church, if you have your Bibles, grab them. We're going to be in Romans. We've been in Romans for a, a, a little bit, uh, but we're going to be in Romans. We're going to be in chapter 10, starting in verse 14. Um, love the book of Romans. It is uh, as we, As you're getting there, what we've seen in Romans time and time again is that Paul is so beautifully logical. He just lays out this one unfolding argument that we get to participate in. And and we've called this out before, but Paul has this tendency to say something. It shocks us. We have a question that's kind of brewing. And then he'll say the question before we kind of put words around it and then answer the question before we even asked it. That's what Paul does. It's just this one beautiful, long argument. And so because this is true, These verses that we get the privilege of digging into, it's important for us to be able to put them into their context. And our verses today are a great example of this. Uh, So, if you weren't with us last week, last week what we looked at is Paul just talked to us about how we can be saved. How we can be saved. So, verse 9, he says, if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, um, you will be saved. We walked through this last week. Uh, we, we looked, we're in verse 13, the verse right before ours today. Paul says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So last week we unpacked what that calling looks like, believing in our hearts, confessing with our mouth. Last week we talked about the assurance that we have in our salvation. Notice it doesn't say you might be saved You have a good chance of being saved. Odds are better or in your favor if, no, it says you will be saved. And last week, we talked about the all-inclusiveness of this, that that was people from, it's all who call. So people from all nations, tongues, tribes, cultures. But yet we had talked about the exclusivity of it as well. That all people, that salvation is in calling on the one name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that he is the way, the truth, the life. We looked at this last week, and now coming off of this, Paul is going to take us down a little journey today. Uh, And he's going to do this by asking us a few questions. You ready? Two of you are. I'm going to take you anyway. (laughs) Let's start verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That takes us right to 14. Here we go. How then? How then will they call in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom, uh, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone Preaching and and how are are they going to preach unless they are sent? All right, so we'll pause here. We're going to continue. Let's pause here. So, everyone who calls in the name of the Lord is going to be saved, but how are they going to call if they don't believe And How are they going to believe if they never heard? And how are they going to hear if no one preaches? And who's going to preach if they don't get sent? These are the questions that Paul puts in front of us. Maybe it would be helpful. I I saw this quote when I was in my study this week by uh, a pastor, um, John Stott. He flips this around and states it in the positive. So let let me read this to you. He says, the essence of Paul's argument is seen, if we put his six verbs verbs in opposite order, Christ sends heralds, heralds preach, people hear, hearers believe, believers call, and those who who call are saved. I like that. I like just flipping it around. And for some reason it's like light bulb for me. I love that. But do you see it? it one of the most beautiful things about this verse for me is how simple it is. It just states it. I mean, it's so straightforward. But here's the problem. Let's come back to what we started before we prayed this morning. Conviction deflection. Here's where this starts to creep right in. So, let's hear what happens What could happen here? So everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is going to be say amen. Uh, How are they going to call if they've not believed? Amen, pastor, I'm with you. How are they going to believe in whom they have never heard? Amen. They they need to hear. And how are they going to hear without someone preaching? Amen. Those preachers need to preach. They need to preach. And how are they going to preach unless they're sent uh, again? Amen. They need to be sent out preachers need to go, and the church needs to send them. Amen? Are we good to go, Pastor? You see what we just did there? What we just did there uh, is, is taking the daily bread and saying, here you go. That's for them. That's... that's it tried to give it to... Some, what that what, what we just did there is try to make it through this Scripture with clean hands. By using a little conviction deflection. So... I think the reason it's so tempting to do it in this verse is because the language Paul uses. If you notice in this verse, he uses the four-letter word, they, a lot. They, and so, you know, if we're not careful, I think, I think we can try to use that word as a way to not sit under the weight. So, how will they call who they have not believed and They won't believe if they have never heard. How are they going to hear if someone they aren't preaching and how are they going to preach if they aren't sent? See, they, 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 the they, the they. Here's the most profound statement of the morning, and it doesn't make any grammatical sense. You are they. You are they. You are they. There is not some elite they team. That, that Paul is pointing here, it, there's not some other group that needs conviction from this text. There's not some other group that needs to hear. There's not some other group that needs to preach, that needs to go. Um, you are they. So how will you call on him if you have not believed? The answer is you can't. You don't call on someone who you don't believe will save you. For those of you who know Jesus and have called on Jesus, who follow Jesus, you, you call him Lord because you believe in him. You believe in him. If you don't believe that Jesus is Savior, you're not going to call on him, right? So you call because you believe. And how are you going to believe if you've never heard? That's about as simple as elementary as it gets. Like you're, you, Before you can believe in someone, you have to have at least heard of that someone, it makes sense. It, it just makes sense. But how are you going to hear without without someone preaching? See, you know Jesus. You follow Jesus because someone in your life told you about Jesus. Like again, this is kind of basic. Um, someone took a chance. Someone took the time. To simply tell you about Jesus. Before you can believe in somebody, you have to have at least heard of him. And you have heard about him because someone told you about him. This is really basic. That's not all, though, because the second part of that is the someone preaching part. So i got to ask, like, who is going to hear about Jesus because you told them? In other words, how are they going to hear if you don't preach? No, they won't preach. How are they? How are they going to hear if you don't preach and proclaim the truth of Jesus to them? How are they going to hear? Um, you know Jesus again because someone in your life told you about Jesus. Who in your life is going to know and trust Jesus? Because you told them about Jesus. I have a sobering quote this week. Um, I put it on the weekly, our our weekly email that went out, but this got me, so I had to share it here too. It it comes from R.C. Sproul, and he says, in fact, every day in human history, a record is broken. More people died today without hearing the name of Jesus Christ than on any day since God created Adam and Eve. And tomorrow will break today's record. The need is great. And again, you know and trust Jesus because someone told you about Jesus. Who in your life knows and trusts Jesus because you are a part of telling them about Jesus? As we think about this question and sit on uh, under this question let me ask Paul's last one here and how are you to preach unless you are sent this church is most likely where conviction deflection sets in here's the reality not everyone is called to you know go overseas on a on into the mission field overseas I get it. Not everyone is called into pastoral ministry, vocational ministry. Not everyone is called to start churches. We love planting churches here. Not everyone is a church planner. I get it. Not everyone is called to be a preacher who stands here and talks to a congregation like this. Not everyone is, is, is called to do that. That's absolutely true. There are two really important things here that I it, we can't get around. Number one is that every biblical, Jesus-following, faithful church has the responsibility to raise up, to train up, to equip, to send out preachers into the mission field. Every faithful church. This is the body of Christ's responsibility. Um... Specifically here at Stone Oak Bible Church, we plant churches. We are committed to planting churches. We want to send them out. Why do we do that? Because how are they going to preach if they're not sent? So let's send them. Our our church planter says, yes, that, yes. Every church has this responsibility. Every church has this responsibility, but that's not all. That's not all. Let's take this deeper. Every follower of Jesus has the responsibility to be raised up, to be trained up, to be equipped, and sent out as preachers into their mission field. There's a word in the uh, in the New Testament. We as Christians like Greek words because it. Makes us feel like, yes, it's more accurate. But um, I'm going to go there anyway. Uh, There's a word in the New Testament. um, It's the Greek word oikos. And you might recognize this from your yogurt. You know what I mean? Uh, Same word, same word. But in the the New Testament, this this word oikos is a word that's translated as household. Um, It's bigger than you might think, though. It's bigger than you might think. It's kind of this all-inclusive term, this oikos household. It does include your immediate family. It does. But it also extends beyond that to whom you have influence. It's your circles, your spheres of influence that God has placed. Your circles God has placed you in. That's your oikos. Um, a good example of this in, in Scripture, actually, you don't have to turn with me here. I'm going to be quick, is Acts 10. Uh, you have this man named Cornelius. Acts 10, 1, uh, says there's this man, he was centurion, well-known, devout man, feared God with all his oikos, his household, gave alms generously to people, prayed continually to God. Um, and in Acts 10, uh, God connects Cornelius's oikos with, um, with Peter and his crew, and God was about to do something miraculous. He was about to the Holy Spirit, just like the day of Pentecost, was going to fall on Gentiles, um, on the whole oikos. It's going to indwell them. And if you look at what Cornelius did in, uh, where is this? Verse 24, verse 24, if you look what he did, he says, on the following day, they, that's Peter and his crew, entered Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them, and he had called together. His uh, relatives, close friends—you get this sense of Cornelius going, "Come on, come on, Oikos, come on, come on." That's house. That's the household. They were all that were a part of Cornelius's circle, and you can read in Acts ten what happened. God shows up, and in this house, it was awesome. Holy Spirit falls, and then they're forgiven, redeemed, baptized. It was so cool. Um, but this idea of, of oikos here—it wasn't just Cornelius. It wasn't just Cornelius and his wife. It was—it was his circle. So I got to ask, who is your oikos? Your family, your friends, your relatives, your coworkers, your classmates, your neighborhood. Who is your oikos? And. I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not asking hypothetically. I, you don't need to say it out loud. That would get chaotic. But I do want you to answer this. Who is your oikos? Let faces and names kind of flood your, your mind. Um, I looked at some stats. They're all over the place. There's a lot out there. But studies show that 0. .0001 about that of people who come to faith come to faith because a TV evangelist or radio. Or podcasts it shows an outdated study. Um, it says that four to six percent, roughly, come to faith because they just walk in and they hear the gospel at a church. Four to six percent. Um, you're looking at about six to eight percent of people who come to know Jesus because the work of a professional, a pastor or missionary, six to eight. You're starting to do the math here. There was another 5% that came to faith, they said, because of various programs that churches do in the community. Five. So, depending on the study you look at, I've seen the numbers range from 70% to 90% of people who come to Jesus, come to Jesus because of what I'll call oikos evangelism. Real people sharing Jesus in a real way with people in their oikos, their sphere of of influence. Who's in your oikos? With those faces in your mind, uh, keep in mind again, let's go back to that, that point. Every follower of Jesus, that's, You, has in me, has the responsibility to be raised up, trained up, equipped, sent out as preachers into their mission field, into your oikos. Trained up, equipped, and released. My responsibility as your pastor is to, Ephesians 4, equip the saints for the work of the ministry. In other words, to send you out into your oikos. To go where no one can go but you. Into your mission field. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's your calling. This is your calling. Here's the thing, though. I want to point out two things that make this a little difficult. Number one is, some of you might feel like you don't have the right words. Like, you're not, like, good enough to do that, or or you might not know enough to, to do that. I gotta say, just as a honest pastor moment here, that's not true. If you know Jesus, tell them. Just tell them in your own words, like tell them about the one who saved you. You know enough, you've got enough. In fact, I have found that it's new believers who are more likely to share their faith It's when we sit for a while. Some of you, forgive me, I love you. Um, Some of us have sat under gospel teaching, biblical teaching for many, many moons. And, And some of us have sat around and talked about the gospel in our community groups and we're clicking, we're going, right? It's just time to take it out. Don't stop sitting under it, but take it out. Don't hoard it. Take it, take it out. Simply point them to Jesus and encourage them to let Scripture do the work. Like, read John. You have questions? Let's read John together. Like, that's a good answer. Just tell them about Jesus. Um, and, And keep in mind that through it all, you don't save anyone. Like... You don't save anyone. You and I, we scatter gospel seeds. And and we tell them of the one who does save. That's what we we do. And God uses the seeds. You scatter, God uses. You scatter, God uses. Um, There's one more thing, though, that I want to bring out. I want to call out an elephant in the room here. Another thing that makes this hard, I believe it, it is far easier for us to go on an overseas mission trip and just drop the gospel bombs. I bet even the shyest among us would step up to the plate and share the gospel. It's easier to share the gospel with those we don't know than so many times than for us to go across the street to those we do. Why is that? Because on a mission trip, you can drop gospel bombs, say amen, and if they reject it, it stinks. You go back home. You go back home. In my neighborhood, though, in my oikos, if they reject it, I'm home. It's awkward. It's uncomfortable. I'm going to see them again tomorrow. Listen, we need both mission evangelism and oikos evangelism. I don't want to put down going out to the stranger. We need to be doing that. Don't forget your home. Don't forget your 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 home. Your neighborhood, your community, your office, your school, your oikos. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how are they going to call if they have not believed? How are they going to believe if they haven't heard? And how are they going to hear if no one preaches? And how are they going to hear preaching if preachers aren't going? You are the sent ones. This is our daily bread for us to take in And instead of deflecting it away to them, just to sit and, and to realize, Lord, I am the one you have sent. Lord, we are the ones you have sent. And I want you to listen to, to what Paul says here. He, he's going to quote Isaiah, if we jump back to our text. Um, he quotes Isaiah and he says, how beautiful are the feet of those who go. I was reminded of the imagery of that. Um, Paul is... is pointing us back to that time in Isaiah where a runner would carry news of victory or defeat, and they would run and carry the news. And you get this imagery. In, in, uh, by the way, in Isaiah, the Israelites, the runner was bringing the news of we are no longer captives to Babylon. It was good news. The runner was coming. And so they would sit on the wall, and they would wait to see. This is before 24-7 news, email, th- all of that. We get instant. No, they waited. And, and off in the distance, they would see the dust coming up from the runner. And I, I bet there's, there, you can tell from body language, that's good news. That's, that's, a, that's good news. There's something beautiful about the feet who run to share good news there's something beautiful about victory freedom salvation the feet that bring those news up. and the truth is is that god appoints us his human messengers as broken as we may be to be those runners to be those runners how beautiful are the feet there's no greater joy or privilege in all the world than running Dust cloud popping up behind us to share the news of salvation. How beautiful are the feet. But you know what? In verse 16, Paul reminds us that not everyone thinks they're beautiful. In verse 16, it says, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? This is one of the hardest and most frustrating realities that we, that you and I are going to face. Especially in oikos evangelism. Not everyone will see. Not everyone will confess and believe. Not everyone will call. Praise God for those Cornelius moments where the household just gets lit on fire by God's... Like that's awesome, but that it's not always like that. There are times when they do not respond. and it can be one of the most frustrating things. If only they would see, have you been there? If only they would see. If only they would see, no matter but no matter what I say, no matter how I say it, there's going to be those who reject the gospel. And when they do, I got to just comfort you with a little bit of something here. They're not rejecting you. Jesus' words in Luke 10 says, the one who hears you, hears me. Jesus says, the one who rejects you, they're rejecting me. And ultimately, the one who sent me. In other words, your call, church, is to go and to share the good news, period. And Jesus is clear. When they hear you, they're hearing my voice. And when they reject you, they're rejecting my voice. And ultimately, God himself. What a reminder. Um, Here's the thing, though. I, I want us to come full circle all the way back to where we began. Um, This has been really working me this week, actually. Um, I want to come back to this idea of daily bread. We talked about the fact that my job, as a preacher, as a pastor, is to provide daily bread, is to, to, it's not, as bad as this sounds, listen, my job is not to usher you from one extreme, Extravagant Super Bowl experience to the next. That's exhausting. It's exhausting. My job is to preach the simple truth of the gospel all the time, every time, consistently. Just to preach it and then to preach it again and, and to preach it again to provide the daily bread. And in that, as we're doing that, praise God for the moments where God lavishes a meal on us. I, I'm telling you, I have felt like we're in a lavish season uh, lately. I praise God for that. That's not me, that's God. And when He lavishes, we enjoy and we give thanks. And then we turn our heart back to the daily bread. The daily, ongoing, sustaining bread. My job to preach faithfully. Why am I saying this? If I carried this weight on my shoulders, that every time I got up here and preached this, that I needed to say things perfectly, I needed to dr- drop some extravagant meal on your plate. Do you know how exhausting? that? I don't think I could do this. I don't think I would be your pastor if that was my job. That's too much pressure. You know what the Lord did to me this week? He showed me that feeling of, I couldn't do this, is exactly what we do to ourselves. We think that the people in our life, they need the word beautifully delivered, the clouds need to part, and Jesus needs to be there, and it needs to be the unforgettable culinary experience. And we're like, I don't feel like I'm capable of that. So I'm going to let someone else do it. And we've forgotten. Ours is the daily bread, and the Lord wants to use you in providing daily ordinary bread to others. You're not called to provide the extravagant meals. Let God do that. You provide the daily, consistent, ongoing bread. I want to give you one more quote from R.C. Sproul uh, this morning. This one is a vulnerable quote. Listen to this. It is tough when it seems as though no one is listening. It is easy to speak when everyone responds enthusiastically, like the Cornelius moment. But when we witness over a long period of time and people are not very serious about responding, it can be so discouraging that we want to give up and we can want to lose the commitment. Can I keep, let you know, like, this man right here is one of the foremost evangelist, uh, evangelicals of our time. Like, he preaches the walls off of the, the building anywhere he goes, and those words came out of his mouth. He says it can be so frustrating when it feels like no one is listening. Let's come back to oikos. It can be so frustrating and tough when it feels like they're not listening. Sure, it's awesome when, when Cornelius moments happen, when the whole house hears and responds, but what about for you and I who have witnessed for years and years and years And it doesn't seem like they're responding. What about when we get discouraged? Some of you are right here. You've been praying for your family. You have been praying for your friend. And, and it's, it's, you've been praying for revival. And, and, but time after time, it seems like they're not interested and not responding. I want to encourage you this morning. I want to encourage you this morning. You might just be a part of a long supply of some daily bread. Some of you might think, if only I had the right words, the the extravagant meal, they would listen. But church, God's calling you to scatter the seeds, to provide the daily bread, and all of those seeds that have been thrown out, you don't know what's happening under the surface. You don't know what's taking root. God is doing things that you cannot see. I can say that with confidence. So God don't lose hope. God is patient. Don't lose hope and don't stop scattering. Don't stop scattering. We can often look for the conversion moments. Praise God for those moments where we thank Him for those moments, where we see death to life, when we see blind eyes open. We praise God for that moment. But here's the deal God might be using you right now in unseen ways, planting and watering seeds. Don't lose hope, don't stop scattering, and don't stop praying for them. You know this, we've already said it, but you don't save anyone. You don't save anyone, that is God's work. And so here's the deal, we need to be on our knees for our oikos. On our knees. Um, And I want to close with this. I want to close with this. I I would challenge you, challenge all of us, to just start with one. Just start with one. Um, We started this initiative called Who's Your One um, several months ago. And it was a way to turn our hearts back to prayer and a way to turn us to start scattering seeds of the gospel. Who's your one? It's simple. It asks us, it gets us to ask, who is, the, who is the person we're praying for right now that God would redeem and move? Who is the person that we're praying God would give us the opportunity to share the good news? And who are we praying? Would receive and hear and believe and call. Who are we praying for? Church, if you have not joined me, joined us in, in this prayer And who's your one? I encourage you, today is the day. Step into this with me. I had to change my one, because I found out that the one I was praying for already knew Jesus. So that can happen. That's a good thing. Um, Who is your one? join us in this. So begin to pray that God would direct you to your one. Pray specifically for your one and the opportunity to share with your one. And when God provides these opportunities, because he will be obedient. Walk. Share. And trust God with the results. I want to encourage you to, um, if you haven't already, to go here right now. So this website, um, sonokbible.com, who's your one, W-Y-O. We have a great guide. It's a prayer guide. I'm gonna do it again. Uh, I wanna invite you to do it with me. Um, It's a prayer guide where you can be praying. It helps you step into this and to start doing the work of prayer. I wanna encourage you to do this. And we know everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And how are they gonna call if they don't believe. And how are they going to believe if they don't hear? How are they going to hear if no one preaches? If you don't go. And verse 17 says, faith comes from hearing. And hearing through the word of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, you are doing a work in us. You are doing a work in me, and I can feel it. In this moment, I pray that you would bring people into our minds that you are calling us to go to. I pray that you would in this moment begin, if there is anyone here who doesn't feel worthy, doesn't feel like they have all the answers, I pray that you would just bring this lightness to our shoulders to remind us of who we are in you remind us of who in fact indwells us and to give us a confidence to share the gospel. I pray for all of those who are going, who are sharing right now. I pray that you would allow them to not grow weary in doing good. Lord, I pray for fruit. I Boldly pray for fruit. I pray that this week we will see fruit of gospel seeds. I pray this week that friends and neighbors will hear the gospel and respond. I pray that even right now in this moment that there is someone who is hearing this and gospel seeds are taking root. I pray right now for revival and it doesn't... (laughs) It starts with us. It starts with what you're doing in our hearts. It starts with us on our knees. So Lord, would you bring us to our knees? Would you break our hearts for what breaks yours? I pray that for those who have been putting off this whole thing of sharing the gospel, I pray that as we leave, that that's just no longer possible. That you're burning in us and calling us to go. Lord, would you do the work? And in all of this, we give you glory for what you are doing. In Jesus' name.